Checking in again with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for our weekly Tacky Talk update now in the new year. Hey, Tacky. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. You didn't get blown away by the last uh, wind and rainstorm, I see. Oh, I didn't sleep that much, regretfully. I think everyone <laughs> that lives a bit closer to the water uh, is aware of this, the sheer volume of rattling your windows and uh, random pieces of whatever in front of your home hitting the side of your home or the, or the shrubs or the trees or whatever uh, that you live. So uh, I, those of you know, I live, I, I live across from Black's Creek Marsh. So I have quite a non-obstructed uh, view of the marsh, which means also non-obstructed view of wind. Um, I obviously don't live right on the water. I'm sure uh, those right on the water are used to and, and see much more uh, direct uh, wind impact off the water. Uh, but I'm sure everyone felt some level of debris, you know, that you never knew just came off a tree, <laughs> you know, floating around in front of you. And those, you know, put garbage out the night before and didn't have it secure. I'm pretty confident you guys all know what happens next. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've had a few more uh, tiresome nights of waking up than, uh, than I've had in a little while. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's another one on the way this weekend, too. So uh, no rest for the weary. Well, three uh, major storms and a Patriots coaching change. Uh, it's a, quite a turbulent week for uh, us uh, in uh, New England. Um, and I believe it's at the shooting of this review, it's about, what, 11, 10-ish about. Um, and supposed to be like a noontime announcement today regarding uh, a change of the Patriots for the first time in 24 years. Right. Yeah. Not totally unexpected by those who watch that. But uh, yeah, the two topics we love to talk about most here in New England, right? Weather and sports. <laughs> well, it's a guaranteed uh, minimum ability to have a conversation with anybody in this state. That's true. <laughs> We can, either, we can either moan together about it or, uh, you know, wax philosophic. <laughs> exactly. You know, unless you're a Yankee fan, then it becomes a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, you don't want to get into that conversation on the subway. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have no way, no way out. <laughs> no, that's, that's very, very fair. <laughs> uh, so what's happened since last we chatted? Well, I mean, uh, this has uh, been actually somewhat of an eventful week. Um, you know, we did a so-called revenge porn bill yesterday in the House. Um, honestly, this is a bill we did last cycle uh, that the House had sent over, uh, actually not too far off from this time of year. Um, and the Senate didn't take action on it uh, until the very last day of informal sessions, not formal sessions, which then created no situation to find a resolution before the session closed. So, uh, you know, Speaker Mariano and, you know, the House members decided that we should do this. And uh, those uh, who are not aware, you know, we talk about uh, people whose um, sexual acts or, um, uh, I'm trying to use a good word here, but I mean, nudity, uh, lack of clothing or, or sexualized uh, pictures or videos are released without permission into the public. And you all know about sexting at this point. This is something that you and I never would have conceived when we were young. Um, you know, being given to other people by phone or email, social media. And uh, guys, we all know this porn sites, okay? I mean, internet and porn kind of go together. And people do revenge porn. They, you know, they either, uh, you know, with consent or without consent, uh, take a video of sexual acts and then uh, post it on the internet as for revenge uh, with the consent of the other person. Um, Massachusetts and South Carolina, actually the last two states who do not have some form of law that addresses this issue. So 
you know, from our standpoint, it was very important. We're also sensitive to uh, minors, right? Um, you know, the uh, obviously child porn, you know, we put you away, right? It's not complicated. But you got teenagers being stupid, so to speak, uh, and they engage in sexting, which you all have seen in the news. So, you know, we do diversion programs and higher education programs to uh, to basically just discourage future behavior. But, you know, we do, you know, have uh, severe penalties for folks who, who are not uh, minors uh, that engage in this practice, which includes, I'm going to read off the sheet so you actually know what I'm saying. One first offense penalty up to two and a half years in the house correction, fine of not more than $10,000 or both. Second offense results in two and a half years in house correction or up to 10 years in state prison and a fine of not more than $50,000 or both. So, you know, we have a two-tiered penalty system um, of instance. So first instance, second instance, if you engage in this type of behavior. And, you know, we're pretty uh, straightforward um, on identification. I mean, obviously, you know, it's you. Yeah, I mean, that's part of this. And, um, you know, able to file, you know, police, you know, charge, give police ability to charge your crime and proceed with trying to uh, go to court and, and get this uh, penalties uh, imposed. And then uh, you also have converse of uh, control and domestic violence, which as you can see, I'm looking down here. Uh, basically, we expanded that definition of, uh, of abuse for the purposes of domestic violence to include co coercive control, which is not currently there. Coercive control is basically the ability to um, not physically intimidate someone into uh, behaving um, the way you want as a form of control. Essentially, gaslighting. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if the younger audience knows what gaslighting is, but I think everyone a little older knows that you set up a, an environment where your abuser doesn't actually touch you, uh, but creates a hostile environment where you uh, psychologically feel that you are the Per, uh, you are the problem essentially right. uh, and uh, manipulate you into doing things that the abuser wants um, and uh, causes enormous psychological and then perhaps self-inflicting damage right it's, it's you can kind of create this this controlled uh, environment around the victim you know limiting their access to information to communication with uh, with family and friends um essentially keeping them in, in their own your own little preconceived bubble that's correct and also you know you also your abuser may tox create toxicity among your as you pointed out your friends your family your social circles that could be a potential support network and um you know that's the type of coercive behavior where uh you know you create isolation whether directly or through the social circle uh to create this very toxic environment so we've added that de definition under spill as part of domestic abuse which gives greater power to uh, law enforcement and district attorney's office to look more widely about, um, you know, whether or not this is a domestic abuse case. It also reflects the modern world today. I mean, social media, texting, group chats, um, you know, are much more involved than, you know, people used to like, didn't have telephones on your pocket and you just had it like room a million way around, you know, everywhere and everyone's uh you know aware of this no matter what your age is you know whether or not you um caught on to it at the time uh but i mean it's also kind of complicated because if you may not be aware you've been a part of the gaslighting that's right that's part that's part of it right is uh you only have limited information so you, you don't know that uh, you're being kept in the dark essentially yes and you know coercive behavior takes some time to to uh, be more apparent as unfortunately, it, you, don't, you know, no one should be subject to this. 
but it, it does something that evolves, you know, as a victim uh, that it starts to like make an appearance, but it's so subtle and slow. Mm -hmm. if, it, if you compound that on top of physical abuse and other forms of direct emotional abuse, it just compounds the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand this bill passed unanimously, right? Right, Jackie? It did. I mean, we, you know, have some provisions here about extreme situations regarding sexting. Obviously, they can be brought up with criminal charges, even if you're a juvenile. There's a lot of discretion, of course, to, to law enforcement police regarding uh, circumstances associated with minors. Um, but obviously, the, the you know, that's trying to create a circumstance where we're trying to discourage future bad behavior, except in very, very bad cases. But also, you know, let people, uh, adults, you know, they want to engage this, beat them on alert that, you know, your your victim can go after you um, criminally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts if you engage in this, this behavior. I know it's complicated. I know it's the internet. I know there's a lot of anonymity, but you know if you're able to identify yourself as a victim, I mean you you do have the ability to start a recourse process criminally. And okay. uh, yeah, yeah, pretty. It's a good bill. I mean, I'm very proud to be able to get it out again. A very early in 2024. Uh, since it is January, we do do stuff both in January. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that the Senate will um, take action on this, uh, hopefully quickly, you know, before we close formal sessions in July. Yeah, I know um, here in Quincy, Senator Keenan's a big proponent, so, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yes, yes, so I agree with that. So we'd like to get this government test as quickly as possible. Very good. There was some budget talks too, right? Yeah, you've seen in the news that our uh, FY24 projections have not been making benchmark. We are ahead of FY23 uh, and 22 in terms of revenue collected, but we're not hitting our estimates. And uh, so uh, we got to differentiate this a little bit from folks who are thinking the sky is falling. The economy is still very strong. Unemployment's under 4%. Inflation is coming down, even though we're not all feeling it yet. There is a delayed response, uh, but you know, interest rates are still high. And uh, you know, that stuff is delayed. It isn't like, again, I said earlier, when interest rates shift, it isn't like that morning, the entire population changes their spending habit because of the interest rate shift. Right. These things are incremental over time periods. Same thing with inflation. Just because the price of eggs has gone down wholesale, it takes time for this stuff to trickle down to you. Um, same thing with fuel prices, right? You know, just because oil spikes that morning doesn't mean your gas spikes immediately right afterwards. Right. You know, they will spike, but there's a time delay between the actual uh, market shift versus it gets to retail. So this is kind right. of- Right, I mean, the gas that's in the tank at your local gas station was, was purchased at the old price, you know, like a month ago. Yeah, exactly. It is a little, it's, again, it's not as, I think people uh, look at macro data and think, oh, you know, okay, you know, things are happening this minute. It's not macro data it takes time to filter out just on the, on the street level. Right. So, you know, we have a lot going on in the economy, but I want to emphasize first is economy is very, very strong, despite some of the challenges on, on prices, because people are still working. Uh, and we are collecting more than we did before, but certain things came in a little bit under, for example, uh, and we talk, talk about this all the time. December uh, sales tax and use tax was not as rigorous. Christmas, while well, sales were very high for retailers in dollars, it did not translate into uh, tax dollars. Right. And that's that's a big part of it. And people started to be much more finicky and choosy and careful what they do and buy. Um, you all saw that there was a lot of travel in December and uh, Thanksgiving, the highest uh, travel period uh, in um 
since before COVID. Uh, but again, those tickets were purchased probably back in September or August. It isn't like you decide to buy a plane ticket three days before Thanksgiving because you're not insane unless you have a family emergency or a business emergency. You're not doing that, right? That'd be crazy to do that unless you have a legit emergency situation. Um, so, you know, like that impact on travel, for example, we probably won't see until moving into the spring and summer, which in Massachusetts case is tourism. Mm -hmm. People come in for leap heaving, people come in for graduations or getting the kids to school in September because we're still college city. And uh, obviously a lot of foreign uh, tourists, uh, particularly from China and England and, you know, a lot of places in Canada actually do visit Massachusetts during the warmer weather. So we'll see how um, the economic slowdown and again, the price increases and you know people being squeezed will impact our economy going into the spring because tourist money is great because, you know, there's no infrastructure real. <laughs> we don't have to pay for infrastructure to be here to spend money. And They're just coming and leaving their money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and economic development, but a but big part of it is sales tax, use tax, meal tax, um, hotel tax. Yeah. Um, using uh, local infrastructure, you know, one time, like the MBTA is like a one time use, Ubers are one time use. I mean, uh, car they go out to eat, they pay the meals tax, you know, you know. Yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, state impact. So, again, uh, we'll wait and see how this unfolds. Again, I said earlier, the macro doesn't filter to the, to the street level, it takes time to watch it occur. So, you know, we're unfortunately, uh, you know, anticipating that there will be um, not making benchmark. Yeah, we're doing better than we did in the past, but. Uh, we're not making our benchmarks. And a lot of these macroeconomic issues are now filtering to the street level. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, uh, we realize we don't get taxes on a steady rate. This isn't, the state isn't like every month getting an equal number of tax money in. It is an ebb and flow. And uh, going, uh, finishing uh, six months of the fiscal year, you only collect about 45%-ish of all your tax revenue. Um, big surprise, folks, the biggest chunk shows up on one day in April. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which we get an extra day this year, by the way, because of Patriots Day. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. You get one more. Yeah. The 16th of April is when your taxes. Well, of course, right. I encourage you to get it done sooner. If you're getting a sure. get it much sooner. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, 55% of uh, state revenues are collected after January 1st. The lion's share, by far none, is in one day in April. So, uh, so why do we go through 9C cuts, or why did the governor engage in 9C cuts? And uh, it's quite simple. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you'd rather get it now. You'd rather have a situation where uh, you're at zero or slightly above uh, zero in terms of collections, you know, above breaking even, rather than below breaking. Yeah. That's the, the one uh, question I have was that it was mentioned that part of the cuts are coming in social services, and I'm wondering if anything here in Quincy is being impacted that you know of. Yeah, sadly, some of the uh, earmarks that we put out there you know, has been impacted. You know, Quincy Asian Resource took a 50% cut, Germantown Neighborhood Center, uh, the uh, Adams Presidential Library took a 50% cut, um, the Rashidi Drive uh, signalization, temporary signalization project. You know, it took a 50% cut. Um, you know, we, we, you know, unfortunately, the delegation brings bad news to people sometimes too. So, you know, I'm sure phone calls have been made and I made my calls relative to the ones I am affected by to let them know. And uh, honestly, people are very understanding the calls when I made them. They weren't angry, mm -hmm. they weren't 
uh, upset. They weren't happy, obviously. Uh, but they're very understandable circumstances. And uh, we've had a good run, okay? And, you know, I know COVID was awful, but, you know, we had all that economic stimulus money from feds, not just giving money to the state, but also into our economy. Uh, we've had a good uh, revenue increase because of unexpected wage inflation, mm -hmm. right? Your income taxes tied to wages. And, uh, you know, we had seen like 9% wage inflation at one point. So, you know, obviously we collected more income tax than we anticipated, right? right. And the same thing with strong economy. People started traveling, they had revenge spending, revenge travel uh, after COVID, plus, you know, other, from other parts of the country, not just in Massachusetts. And, you know, that economic assistance money that the feds put out and uh, to, to all these counties and states and municipalities, you know, isn't just a Massachusetts thing. Some of those folks from other states use that money, you know, perhaps to buy something online retailer that is based in Massachusetts, but goes through Amazon, for example, or Etsy, mm -hmm. right? There are other people in other, and we do another thing too. Our people in this state will buy goods and services from other states, you know, perhaps using some of the money, or likely not, probably did use some of your money uh, they received from the feds of the free, you know, COVID monies, you know, to, to engage those purchases, which then, you know, stimulates the economy in both areas, right? Mm -hmm. Same with place travel, right? People had extra money to do travel. Um, and they did. Yeah, so, I mean, we had, uh, you know, overall, a pretty, a very good run in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, 2020 was the year of my projection for a economic downturn uh, was going to come. And, um, and that's, 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 that has not happened um, in 2020 because of COVID. Because you're looking at a recession somewhere between eight-ish to 10-ish years. Putting aside the the uh, 03, the dot com boom, the 03 to 08 uh, financial crisis, which was very unusual to have a recession such short time period between the two, but between eight and ten years, especially after a very good run uh, of the economy, you know, we fully expect at our level that there'll be a recession coming, and you know, obviously, state revenues will go stagnant. So, um, no, it's it's been you know it's going to be a challenge, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the government did the right move. Uh, trying to uh, bring back some of these costs. Um, and I'm sure they're trying to find other ways to save money uh, on administration level. But you also kept core programs in place, Chapter 70, local aid, education, and municipalities, since this money were left in place. Um, we didn't cut universal school breakfasts and school lunches, which is a big deal for everyone. Um, so a lot of the major core programs, uh, you know, weren't affected by 9C cuts. And, uh, you yeah. know, and some of this trimming is going to be, you know, Simple stuff like office supplies again, right? You try to find new ways to trim a little bit here, a little bit there. So that would be likely continue to remain of the year. Do you know if uh, energy, the energy assistance programs are affected at all, Tacky? No, no, okay. energy should not be affected. Also, there's a federal component to energy, right. sorry, energy assistance programs more accurately. And energy efficiency is actually tied to your um, electric and gas bills, so they're shielded <laughs> from taxpayers. It's not taxpayer paid for. Your fuel assistance program is a combination of state and federal money. Okay. And, uh, actually, you brought a good point. Right about this time of year is when the feds are supposed to get us some fuel assistance money. Yep. And then uh, we will backfill with state money. Um, gotcha. a deficiency to do so. I see. Yep. And I, as I understand, the governor did not touch the uh, you know the quote unquote rainy day fund. No, we we actually have a conversation in caucus about that, and the you know, rainy day fund is not. You know, just to pull it out, you know, whenever we feel uh, 
you know, arbitrarily, so to speak. You know, it is designed to address major budget shortfalls and also to address future budgets to ensure that the future budgets, budgets are, balanced, are able to be balanced. Uh, because we project a revenue shortfall as part of our budget, we have essential things we're trying to get paid. We can always put rainy day fund in. And we've had instances where we put rainy day fund into the budget and we had you know refill the rainy day fund because it was premature mm -hmm. to put the rainy day fund money in. Um, and it's at $8 billion. Uh, we have a budget, probably going to be coming out, probably $56 billion budget, give or take. I think the governor's going to propose in House 2 on the 24th of this month. Uh, $8 billion is very uh, sizable, uh, but anybody knows, listening knows, you don't spend all your emergency money in one sit-down. Um, right. You try to cut your expenses first or you know reallocate or, or try to create efficiencies before you dip into your emergency money. Yeah, it's like running your household budget, right? You don't want to dip into your savings if you don't have to. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I certainly don't. Uh, you know, I, I try to, you know, trim back. Uh, I guess I talk about it a lot. Prices are high. I've been trimming back a lot. Uh, but, you know, like everyone else, I mean, I like to retire someday, too. Mm -hmm. um, and that you save, right? You, you put your money into your uh, 401k, in my case, a 457. And, of course, people talk about the fact that, you know, I do have a pension opportunity, uh, but, that, you know, as this environment showed, you can't rely on uh, fixed income annuities to be a solution in retirement. You really need to have secondary sources of private investment. Um, even if it's tiny amounts, and you do it when you're young, the compounding will mean when you get older, you will have you know, a lot more than what you initially put in. Uh, yeah. uh, but, I mean, also you do what you can. You obviously can't go crazy. You, you try to put reasonable amounts you can put into the future um, that uh, that works for you. And, and unfortunately, some people in COVID had to dip into their 401ks, had to dip into their 457s, had to dip into their, their penalties for their CDs. Uh, well, now you get better CDs, but I'm sure people have things like CDs and all that take penalties off because COVID created that circumstance where, you know, 14% unemployment in one week, right? So, yeah, you know, and that's when we realized people had such low savings accounts. Right. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people had dip into retirement and other monies that were fixed uh, during COVID. But, you know, we had good economic times. People would try to save money again because you can. But again, inflation has been your buffer. So same thing at our level. We face inflationary costs. You know, we, you know, we, we've been facing over uh, employment shortfall. I know there's an article out there saying that we've grown the government. But we also haven't grown the government because we had a lot of work during COVID that we had to do a massive hiring component. Like unemployment, having like over 50 employees to 2,000 employees and like as quickly as humanly possible in the middle of a health crisis. Right. Um, and you just don't dump people. You have to train people. It's not like, here, here's a, here's a, here's a phone. Do work. And no, you just you got to like train people. And that all had to happen virtually too. <laughs> yeah. And then you try and they have to readjust um, as we go along because unemployment calls didn't end just because of that massive spike. Unemployment calls will still come into us right into 2021. It mm -hmm. is, you know, the economy came back to some life when you know things started reopening in that second half of 2022. But it wasn't like a miraculous, everybody was suddenly off unemployment. You know, people still had pandemic assistance unemployment right into 2021 and going to 2022. So my office was still dealing with a lot of constituent calls about, you know, you know, I'm having problem with accessing system. You know, you know, a lot of fraud in the sense that someone stole your identity. We're getting those calls. Uh, we're you know, still getting calls. People who somehow survived the first part of the pandemic 
not needing employment provider. They were, you know, their business closed. They couldn't survive the pandemic. They were laid off because, well, unfortunately, this business couldn't make it out uh, out of the second half. Um, and they, you know, employment was there. So, I mean, it took a long time for unemployment to really, you know, dip back to below 4%, which really mm -hmm. happened um, in 2023. Yeah. So, and now uh, in our office, we're seeing more calls on unemployment request assistance now than um, we have had through most of 2023. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the two things that I'm looking at for economic indicators, obviously the phone calls coming in on housing, unemployment, food stamps, the social services of people uh, mostly first. You, well, you know how to use it, wouldn't be calling it, right? So people call me, tend, all first time need assistance. And then um, obviously, I know we talk about the migrant crisis a lot, but again, folks, just barely 50% of the housing shelter assistance program are not migrants to Massachusetts residents. So you got about 3,000 plus families that are Massachusetts residents in emergency shelters, which reflects the fact that. You know, housing crisis has always been here, but now we've reached a new threshold of problems because we're looking close and closer to 2008 to 2010 levels yeah. of uh, emergency shelter for Massachusetts families. So, you know, those are kind of some of those economic indicators, which I know is a microcosm. I've talked about this in the past. You know, it's not like it's no mistake, but, you know, my little section of Quincy or my, or just looking Quincy, you know, gives me kind of a sense of where um, the economy may be heading down the road. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because much, as you know, much has been said about that about the migrant crisis and how it's pushing the state into into uh, debt. Um, it's all it is really is an indicator of the housing crisis that's been kind of bubbling for years. No, absolutely, and you know we put some money into to the shelter issue through a supplemental budget. Those are one-time transfers between various accounts um, to cover cover that situation on a short-term basis. Obviously, we talked about the Fed lack of assistance and understanding about this humanitarian issue. Uh, you know, the governor and House of Senate Ways and Means has a challenge going to FY25, trying to figure out how to manage uh, the costs associated with this, uh, even with the cap implemented by the governor. Um, yeah. And even uh, the 9C cuts we just saw, um, you know, so there were some buffers involved. For example, you know, we're able to do some mass health waivers and transfers again. Um, you know, lottery money looks like it's not going to make projection, but, you know, we're anticipating that it is extra lottery money. They don't go back to cities to town. City towns already got their money through the budget. You know, we can reclaim that money uh, for ourselves to continue to balance the budget. So, you know, there is a lot of um, still a lot of uh, mechanisms on, you know, trust funds, one-time maneuvers, you know, anticipation of probably some extra money. Um, settlements. The state is always in the middle of some kind of litigation. People don't realize well, the AG's office is extremely busy all the time with litigation. And, um, you know, the state does get settlements. Uh, it's, we don't, it's not always us losing cases. We actually mm -hmm. do cases. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are also one-time, one-time only uh, impacts to the budget. And, you know, we don't know when they show up. Right. That's, that's in the court's hands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally random. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, we can, you know, try to make, see if some of those things appear as well. So it isn't, again, it's getting here from my uh, commentary. It's, it's not all doom and gloom. It is a belt tightening situation. You know, there'll be some, some challenges, core services are not impacted. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, a, in, you know, the indicators are showing up that, you know, things are definitely slowing down. Do I think it's going to be like 03, 08? No, I don't. Uh, do I think that, you know, it's going to be like 4, 4%, 4.5, perhaps, unemployment, possibly. Mm. Uh, but there's also a lot of other factors, right? I, you know, I'm not going to beat up on 
Boston too much, but you know, Boston's uh, um, construction and other economic development programs have stalled mm-hmm. because of the changing policies at City Hall over there. Has a ripple impact around the state, right? Mm-hmm. People here, you know, do construction work in Boston too, right? The big biotech companies, you know, looking like they're getting towards the end of this phase of construction in places like Cambridge. Um, the higher interest rates may slow down, right? You know, future uh, construction. So, you know, you know, there may be still some financing place, maybe not, right? So, you know, there's a lot of other factors involved here. And again, I talk about tourism, you know, talk about exports. Um, you know, alcohol consumption, we have an excise tax, you know, how does that impact our, our revenues? Um, you know, beer sales are down, spirit sales are down. Right, can- but cannabis sales are up. <laughs> cannabis are up. But we also talk about that, that's reaching a, a threshold. All right, yep. You know, so they're up, but we all know they're reaching a point where you plateau. Well, the market's about saturated, I think, or, or close to it, yeah. Yeah, and then you know, part of trying to address nine C cuts, they're trying to get a better sense of what the gaming revenues will look like. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, whether we like it or not, NCAA is coming up. It's the next big one, right? Uh, yes, March Madness. Uh, Charlie Baker is all set for it. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, we we want tickets, right? <laughs> so I'm sure his friends are all over him already. Um, but yeah, I mean that's obviously a major sporting event. Um, particularly up here in Massachusetts, where uh, college sports are a big part of it. Um, yeah. You know, um, we, we kind of talked about earlier, I mean, the Patriots have obviously going to have a change. Um, but, I mean, the Celtics are having a good run right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, not surprising. Uh, people like to bet on local sports teams, and local sports teams are, are successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, not be, you know, a $100 bet. It may be like a $10 bet or a $5 bet, right? But... That's consumer behavioral wagering, you know, uh, it's not always uh, consistent in the sense that you're always doing it on time. You know, it, it revolves around periods that you know, makes the most money during periods, you know, where there's playoffs or you have a local interest. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, national stuff, Tacky. What's up with the, the president not knowing that the defense secretary was in the hospital for three days? <laughs> you know, I was talking to uh, Senator Cronin from Fishburg, who's my co-chair. We had a dinner last night as we're trying to work out bills going to General 10. And he's actually ex-military. Oh. And um, he's like, this is national security problem. Yeah. Because, um, like the president you know, you need to know when they're um, unavailable, uh, whether it be, um, generally it's when you're unconscious, you know, whether it be a standard procedure like President Biden had a colonoscopy or, you know, something a little more um, severe uh, where you're unconscious. And uh, same thing goes to chain of command. You know, I was talking to my the senator, same thing issue a chain of command regarding secretariats. It's one thing where you need someone to cover you for a meeting. It's another thing where you're unconscious. Right. And, and I mean, the president's primary goal is, is the commander in chief of the armed forces, right? <laughs> uh, well, yes. Well, I expect that uh, any employment, uh, if you're going to be out for any significant time, you probably should tell your employer uh, that you are having some issues. Right. And, uh, we should make some arrangements uh, to ensure that your business or the government, in this case, runs smoothly despite your absence. And this is very troubling, especially uh, for someone that uh, came out of the military, uh, that understands chain of command, uh, that should have known better. That's why I find a little surprised because people don't realize that um, 
that he is a military person, which Congress had to create a special exemption uh, when he resigned to become defense secretary. Right. Yeah. But it's, it, it, I mean, it's a key cabinet position. It's not, you know, an undersecretary or an assistant to the secretary. I mean, it's, he's in charge of the nation's defense. Yes. And yeah. And but this applies to all secretariats. Right. They're all directly under the um, supervision of the president. Um, obviously, the president has chief of staff and other members that communicate with them, just like the governor and just like, you know, all of us do in, in big structures. Right. But I mean, essentially, he's your direct boss. And, you know, again, you're right, defense, but it can apply to you know, transportation. As you saw the Alaskan Airlines situation of 737, the, oh, yeah. the door got blown out. I mean, transportation, transportation secretaries like calling FAA, like, what are we going to do here? Yeah. And had to make a very fast decision to ground all the planes for inspection, right? The, the government's the one that grounds those planes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all these secretaries are still very important. I, I don't think people understand or value um, these big decision secretaries have to make, you know, in emergencies that happen a lot more commonly than people realize. It's just not all to make the news. And, you know, thankfully, some of these do not realize the level of life and death circumstances, but right. there are, uh, you know, immediate crises need to be addressed. And, you know, a secretary needs to be found to make those decisions. And if your secretariat is unconscious or incapacitated, then, you know, who is actually making decisions? Um, right. And the president needs to know because you have to set up that chain of command. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's very troubling. So, you know, in, in a government that promised transparency, I I, I hope uh, the truth comes out. <laughs> well, trans well, I think the problem here is there's transparency to your boss. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the public. You need transparency with your boss. Right. Yeah. Something and, tells me that the president was not happy when he found out about it. <laughs> oh, I'd be pretty furious. Uh, the the challenge here, of course, is the nature of the fact you just can't fire people on the spot. You actually have to have a transition. So the question is going to election cycle. We all know things of politics. You know, are they in a position where they're preparing a transition uh, to move him out in favor of another person? You just can't flip and fly. Mm -hmm. So you need to have a plan in place. And uh, that's why I keep asking, you know, have faith in him. You're going to fire him. And the answer for administration should always be no. Yep. Uh, because you don't have a plan yet of what to do if you decide to do a termination. And, um, you know, I suspect there's probably some legit serious conversation in the White House about a transition, um, particularly in the sense of the period of time when you got saber rattling in China with Taiwan, you have still this uh, Ukraine-Russian war, you have the Israeli-Hamas war, um, you still have uh, pirates in South China Sea, yeah. you have North Korea being interesting, launching stuff into space. Yeah. You have uh, joint um, uh, exercises with a lot of Pacific nations now. You're, you, we still are the ones that tell NATO what to do in the end. We are the leaders of NATO. Um, you know, and, and there's a whole lot of uh, military components that you know the Pentagon engages with, not just you know stuff involving protecting our uh, our interests and territories, but also you know cooperating with other interests uh, of our allies. And, you know, part of pirates, uh, the U.S. Navy, you know, the Department of Defense, you know, shipping lanes are protected by the Navy. And you saw in the Red Sea, you know, we've committed a safeguard as best possible or the merchant ships moving through the Red Sea. Um, it's not just the Red Sea. I mean, you know, if the, you know, when Somali pirates were much more active, and they still are, 
you know, off of Africa. I mean, the Indian Navy was in there. The Australian Navy was in there. The U.S. Navy was in there to uh, to eliminate or discourage, depending on circumstances, you know, pirate activity against merchant ships because you come out of the Red Sea, you're coming to that area past Ethiopia, you're heading into Somalia, and then you're in the Indian Ocean, and like 70% of what trade moves that area. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's been, you know, air conflicts, even with Russian fighter pilots. So, yeah, it's always something going on. There was something going on. And uh, like all secretaries are dealing with something. And uh, but in the case of Department of Defense, Secretary of Defense, there's a lot going on globally. Yeah. Seeing as talking about politics, uh, what do you think about Chris Christie dropping out? Not surprising. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, he was playing the dark horse position. Uh, one of the challenges uh, in running, especially in primary circumstances, how do you differentiate yourself from the other person? Uh, I've talked about before, the primary voters are shrinking immensely as people give up the party registration in both political parties. As a result, the party uh, group is less diverse in each political party, which creates a lot more single line messaging, which I find troubling. I think political parties on both sides should be big and diverse uh, with more than one messaging uh, to those members. But that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, and Christie, you know, had taken the position of, you know, you know, justice must be served. You know, people uh, are doing insurrection on uh, on January 6th, as well as the fact that, you know, nobody's above the law. Hmm. Now, we can talk about Christie's time as governor if you want. However, <laughs> he, you know, he's, he knew that he'd be vulnerable to that. So I think he tried to head it off uh, with some of the ads and things. Yeah, he tried. Uh, but, you know, if you all. Listening, you know what I'm talking about. about <laughs> the, the, the bridge gate. <laughs> bridge gate, you know, even COVID on the beach. You know, that, oh, that's right. I forgot about that, too. Yes. All those apply to him, apparently. <laughs> uh, even his own executive orders don't apply to him. That's right. Yes, so much was uh, made about that. So, <laughs> so I mean, uh, you know, uh, kind of being funny, but also not being funny about that. Right. Uh, you know, he had taken a position where other candidates not in that primary and as like I said earlier, the uh, primary voting base is much smaller in terms of the membership of those parties, of both political parties, which creates messaging, you know, targeted them. I mean, he was trying to find a pathway where new messaging would work. Clearly, it did not. Yeah. And the, you know, I'm going to take on Trump a situation uh, to try to create a new path or a new um, interest in, in the party. There's just not enough people in those part in, in the parties. Uh, particularly in the early primary states that create an avenue for him to create a wedge in. Right. Yeah. Uh, March 5th, I think, is Super Tuesday for the presidential primary. So be here before you know it. It actually will be. So please register to vote. Uh, Massachusetts is not a closed primary in the sense that un, un enrolled or, you know, non-party affiliated voters who didn't pick a bit of the party can choose a ballot of any primary candidate on the 5th. You want to pick Republican, you can pick Democrat, or you can pick an alternative party like the Green Party. If I don't do on the ballot, but they always seem to get on the ballot primaries, so you can you can choose one of those other ones, and then you know you don't have to lose your register your your party status as a non-party member. So you know I obviously do encourage everyone to participate, regardless of political party. I think your voice is important, and as I said earlier, you know political uh, uh, parties are shrinking in terms of the diversity of voices. And I think, uh, you know, participation in primaries, uh, whether or not you are a member of either political party, you know, uh, well, guys like us, you know, who are political nerds, um, you know, do watch these numbers to see, you know, what is the participation rates uh, and whether or not the uh, party is growing in terms of diverse messaging 
or is it shrinking in diverse, uh, lack of diverse messaging uh, in both political parties? And uh, you also vote for your state uh, committee, a man and woman, as part of the Democratic uh, State Committee and the Republican State Committee on the 5th. So there's actually an additional part of ballot. And you also have the ability to vote for your uh, Democrat and Republican city committee members. Mm-hmm. So the ballot is uh, not just the presidential primary, but also local and actually, I think, quite important that people you know know that there's a city committee in both political parties. They know there's a state committee in both political parties. And that is actually put before the electorate. They are elected by the public. Yep, absolutely. And I spoke with the city clerk actually just this morning, and there will be um, mail-in voting for the primary and early voting also. Matter of fact, I think the Secretary of State's office sending out the mail-in um, notifications this week. Yes, and we're going to be doing this again for the primary in September and, of course, the yep. general election in November. And, you know, people like this stuff. I mean, yep. uh, people do participate and numbers show that. And um, it takes a little pressure off cities and towns regarding staffing. Um, it encourages uh, folks to get in ahead if they want to get, in, you know, obviously in line if it's, it turns out to be an extremely busy cycle. Um and uh, those uh, folks who are um, unable to leave the home because of medical reasons or other th- issues, you know, able to do that, or maybe you have to work, or maybe you're away because you're working or something like that. You know, you have the ability to exercise your right to vote. So, um, you know, people had question whether it be accepted by the public, and the numbers show by participation rate that the public likes this. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. Yep, and I think probably absentee balloting will eventually fade away because you, you don't need it anymore if you have mail-in. Actually, by constitution, we have to have absentee ballots. We do? Oh, okay. It's actually in the constitution. Okay. So some some variation of absentee ballots still will continue to exist. And obviously, military ballots will continue to exist, too. Oh, people, sure, yeah. People so, forget that, you know, we make sure the ballots get to military personnel that are Massachusetts residents that are not physically in Massachusetts. And, you know, they ask the subject of absentee rule regarding, you know, they get 10 uh, I believe ten days after election to have those ballots counted, right. yeah. as long as the postmark the day of. Um, and obviously, the military takes very seriously, you know, despite our early conversation, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting ballots to our troops overseas that are Massachusetts residents or out of state that are Massachusetts residents. So, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, there's sufficient excitement <laughs> on uh, on uh, March fifth. But like I said, there's more than one thing on the ballot. So, you know, uh, you may not realize this, uh, but, you know, there's more than just the president. There's other people on the ballot that, you know, mm-hmm. you, they should participate in. Um, but because the Democrat primary doesn't appear to be very interesting because, it, you know, unless something changes soon, um, you know, obviously Joe Biden's going to win the presidential primary. Um, and then, um, but that Republican primary, May or may not be interesting. I mean, there's a conversation probably we're going to have in about a month. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. There's a, any, there's a gig. Anything can change. What I say today, the politics can change tomorrow. <laughs> we'll put a little asterisks on everything. <laughs> Subject to change without notice. <laughs> well, it, it's it, it's like sports teams, right? Anything yeah. can change. Right. That's true. <laughs> As we learned uh, in Boston sports, you know, one injury changes everything or one person gets hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A team sinks somehow right after um, the break and you know goes on a monster run. Um, sometimes uh, they lose the cohesion, fall apart. Uh, you know, politics is, is like the weather here. 
it's very predictable. And of course, there's a very human element in sports. And uh, sometimes it takes one instance and everything changes. Yeah. Uh, we are, of course, approaching the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday. And um, the breakfast here in Quincy is coming back for the first time in three years. So uh, it's going to be at nine o'clock Monday in the high school cafeteria. Yes, it's great to see this breakfast return. You know, obviously, you know, I encourage the public to come visit. Um, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, I think people are starting to forget about a little bit the fact that, you know, one man made a difference. We talked about earlier about anything can change, mm. how one man can actually bring a message across. You know, that is quite frankly resonates with a lot of folks uh, and also creates change in today's world that we're still living today. And I think the message still holds. Uh, I, I do think that the um, concept of equality, concept of ability to advance, concept of people to participate, people forget that about him, participate, um, and, you know, to to engage, um, you know, in your rights under the law, whether it be, you know, exercise your vote or perhaps form a union, because unionization is right now on the uptick, right? The ability to get your equal rights under the law and the ability to change the law if it's unfair. Yeah. So those messages still resonate today. And um, this remembrance is very important. It's great the city to do that. And congratulations to Ian Kane being the council president and also being the keynote speaker at this year's breakfast. Yep, absolutely. That's open to the public uh, and it's free for all. So, Yes. And, you know, I'll, I'll be there at 9 a.m. Very good. Anything else we should let folks know about in the district, Tacky? Um. Nothing off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, I haven't uh, looked at my calendar. I looked at my calendar, but I'm, I'm trying not to remember parts of my calendar sometimes. Well, I happen to know the house neck polar plunge is coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting into one. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, Friends of Walls and Beach has theirs. There's polar plunge out there. They did one at um, Lincoln Hancock last year. Yes. Yeah, no. Not going to plunge? <laughs> no. I... I <laughs> Love the water. You all know I can't swim to begin with. <laughs> I might wade sometimes. Up to your ankles. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, yes. Uh, as you guys all know, I don't BS you all. I just tell you. Uh, all right. Well, you'll be there in spirit, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I'll be <laughs> rooting from the root, from the comfort and warmth of my home. Very good. <laughs> so, you know, these these are obviously very important. You know, activities and um you know important fundraisers so even if you can't participate uh you know obviously encourage people to donate what they can and i've said this many times before you know if you're able to spare a couple you know a couple bucks you know and it's a local organization that is important to you you know definitely consider it you don't have to do it today but you yep. can you know, take a time when you have the capacity to do so yeah oh the housing and community center does great work and the and as you well know you i know you support them in many different ways so um that they're a great organization Yes, absolutely. And uh, also Troop 6 out there. Yep. Scouts. And then you have, um, of course, I would forget the number, but the West Quincy one. Which I forget, too. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I think it's 24. I just forgot, okay. obviously. I think it's 42, actually. You had it backwards. Backwards. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> yeah, my memory's going. I'm aging two people. Um, <laughs> I am aging. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some great works. And, you know, they work with the local communities as well. Um, you know, obviously the House Neck Garden Club, you know, uh, you know yep. when we approach spring, uh, the activity goes up there. Another great organization to donate. And uh, Manic Community Health Center is still out there. For sure. Yep. 
They're another important organization to the state. And um, I know I'm going to cover mostly House Neck, but, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples of, um, you know, great um, civic groups. Yes, absolutely. City's very fortunate to have so many active uh, and engaged folks. Um, time to tell folks how to get a hold of you, Techie. Yeah, 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. Um, we are open. Um, feel free to give us a call. Um, I am aware who calls in. They, they, staff tells me. Uh, obviously, you can email at tacky.chan at mahealth.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N at mahealth.gov. Uh, as you all know, I get a lot of emails, but right now I can find them all. So I'm very excited by the fact that these simple things in life and the fact that I can actually sort my email properly. Um, you can see me on State Representative Tacky Chan uh, Facebook account. You know, we sometimes get some pictures up there about where I've been, what I've been doing, and some, you know, important things. Um, we have at Tacky Chan on X. Um, so we do have a Twitter account. Uh, I greatly discourage contacting me through social media. It's better to call us directly to the office. Please leave us a phone number. We'd like to get back to you because we may have questions about what you're calling about. Um, and obviously, you have the state website, you know, mlegislature.gov. You don't need me to find your bill. You can look it up there. Um, as, well, as well as watch uh, hearings and sessions. And we have uh, tactyshan.org, which is the kind of our phone number website page. And of course, you know, it's spending time with QATV here with you. And I had time with Mark Crosby uh, prior to uh, the holiday uh, on State View as well. So, you know, I, I do uh, spend more time with Joe. Uh, but, uh, you know, these kind of broadcasts are, uh, again, ad hoc. This is not scripted, so anything can happen. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, very important to share some insights, you know, not just about the status, but, you know, some random thoughts that come along our way. Yeah, we have, we have the benefit of being uh, quite timely and, you know, respond to events as they happen, so that's kind of neat. Yeah, and, uh, you know, big complaints go to Joe. Um <laughs> Don't like the show, go to Joe. I don't control the show anyway. So if you're unhappy, tell Joe to cancel me. I would never do such a thing, Jackie. <laughs> because these days, anybody can do a show without me. <laughs> I kind of joke and half joke. I have no control of what happens here, people. So. <laughs> well, that is true. Yeah, he has no editorial control whatsoever. <laughs> Zero editorial control. That's right. Uh, but by the nature of local access, we don't edit this either, folks. <laughs> what you see is, is what happened. <laughs> so, but this is always fun, as you guys all can tell. Uh, you know, ad hoc conversations, and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. But I mean, it's real. And yeah. um, you know, I'm not here promoting products. I'm not here promoting a political philosophy. I'm not here making you angry. You know, because I want to do that. Um, I hope to make you laugh sometimes, um, because uh, the tacky quips are sometimes um, try to keep the mood light and because we talk about serious stuff here. And, yeah, uh, that's for sure. It's, and, uh, it's, it's all about people. That's what your job is. It's it's working with people. Yeah, you know, sometimes we have a little fun, but sometimes it's very serious. But I think it's a good good to have a mixture of both. So hope you all come back again and see us or listen to us on your favorite podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tech. We'll see you next week. See you next week, Jim.